Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Thanks for joining us. We're going to wrap up uh, this series on scandalous grace. It's been seven weeks. Has this been a helpful series? Yes. Yeah? Uh, it's been fun to go through. Like I said when I started this, I read the entire Bible through the lens of grace, and I, I'm, I'm learning to start seeing it everywhere. Uh, and I want to jump into a story in the Old Testament where it is profound, uh, it is apparent to me, uh, and it's really encouraging and, and, and reassuring. But before we do, I appreciate Caleb's prayer, uh, but sometimes a preacher needs to pray for himself. And so let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for grace that is magnificent, um, that is profound. Thank you that it's by grace that we're saved. Thank you that it's by grace that you pour your blessing and favor on people who don't deserve it and have could never merit it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd give me words that, that would communicate well the magnitude and the magnificence of this thing called grace. And that by it, our hearts would be drawn further uh, to you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd give me the words to preach the unsearchable riches of you, Christ. And to make plain that mystery. Authenticate these words by signs and wonders of your grace being poured out on people. And for that, God will give you thanks. In your name I pray, amen. I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you have a Bible, get it out. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. All the scriptures will look at. It will be on the screens. They're on our app, so follow along there. 2 Samuel 9 tells the story of, uh, of a couple people. One of them is this, this, this young man named Mephibosheth. Everybody say his name, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. That is a good name. I, you know, if I, I, I want to have another kid just so I can name him Mephibosheth. Now, it doesn't mean something very good, but it just sounds tough. So I'm going to give me a scholarship. I'm Mephibosheth. It just is one of these cats that, that if you don't study him, you don't know how the profound story of Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, this is how this story begins. David said, now David is the new king. He's the second king of the kingdom of Israel. He became king at the death of the first king, King Saul. David said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was King Saul's son. David and Jonathan were best friends. And David is saying, now that the king is dead and Prince Jonathan is dead, is there anybody left of that family line that I can show kindness to, not for their sake, not even for the king's sake, but for the son of the king's sake? Here's why he wanted to show favor to anybody left in Saul's house. Way earlier, Jonathan, the, king of the, the son of the king, and David, such great friends, were having a conversation. 
And this is what Jonathan asked of David. Don't ever cut off your kindness from my family. Jonathan knew that David was appointed by God to be the king one day. And he's saying, don't ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of your enemies from the face of the earth. Be kind ongoing to my family. And in response to this request, this is why David now, years later, asks, is there anybody left from that home that I can be show kindness to? Jonathan asked me to, I agreed to. Who's left? Do you understand what's happening here? And so, as the story goes, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned here to appear before David, who's the king. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? He says, well, at your service. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm him. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered, there's a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Did you notice what Ziba says to the king? Is there anybody left? Did you notice that Ziba doesn't say, yeah, Phil, yeah, Bert, yeah, Mephibosheth. He doesn't even name the kid. He doesn't tell David his name. He just simply says, well, yeah, Jonathan had this kid, but he's crippled. Think about it. Have you ever been so injured that people only know you by your pain? Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you ever been so injured and so hurt, either at your own hand or by the hands of someone else, that they don't even see you as who you are anymore? You're only seen and you're only known by your pain, by your deficiency, by your problem, by your failure. I mean, this poor kid isn't even named. Have you ever been at that place in life where your shortcomings have become your identity? This is profound. If you've ever been at that place in life where your shortcomings are now your identity. See, you know you're more than your problem. You know that you're greater than your past. You know that you're more significant than your failure, but sometimes the pain of your past has robbed you of your name. And in response to that, most of us in response just want to deny everything about our past because if we can deny that we're broken, if we can deny the pain, then maybe we can reclaim our identity. Sometimes you just need someone to call you by your name. Know me. Well, how'd this poor kid get crippled? He wasn't born that way. And I suggest to us in this place and those here in that you're not born broken. But how many of us know that life conspires against us? And oftentimes breaks us. Watch what happened to this kid. You go way back a few five chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 4. 
And it tells this story of this kid, Jonathan, the son of Saul. So this is King Saul and his son, Jonathan, the prince, had a son who was lame in both feet. This is, let's talk about Mephibosheth. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. What that news was is that there was a battle that both the king and the king's son, King Saul and Jonathan, were fighting in. And news came from the battle that both of them were dead. So this kid, five years old, his daddy and his grandpappy are dead. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name's Mephibosheth. So here's what happened. He's the grandchild of the king, the son of the prince. And there's a war and both the king and the prince are dead. Now, what was often the course of the natural scheme of things, when a new king came to power, oftentimes he put to death everybody in that family's line. Do you understand? And so what that meant, not knowing the heart of the new king, King David, not knowing his heart, she responds in fear because she doesn't understand the character of the king. And out of fear, she flees. And in the fleeing, because not understand the heart of the king, there's injury. You understand? I want you to note something. When you and I do not understand the heart of the king, we become fearful of him. And when we respond in fear to the king, it always causes injury. Here's what I want you to know. If you doubt the heart of the king, you will continue to make decisions inconsistent with the king's heart. That's what the caregiver did. She doubted the heart of this new king. She didn't understand the heart of this king, and she made decisions inconsistent with the king's heart. And when we make decisions inconsistent with the king's heart, because we don't really understand the heart of the king, it always leads to injury and pain. Every time you and I have misunderstood, doubted the heart, the character, the love of the king and his word. We make decisions inconsistent with that heart, and every one of those decisions is going to lead to pain and injury. Right? So the question we have to ask is, do we trust the intent of the king's heart? Romans 8, 28 all things work together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that that's his heart? That all things in your life will work together for good as you love him or are called according to his purpose? It, do you understand that about this king? The Bible says that he will supply all our riches according to his glorious, all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. He will supply it all. Do you trust him? The Bible says, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you trust the heart of this king? This story goes on. David says, well, where is he? Where is, where is this guy? Remember, he's still not been named. He's just this crippled kid. 
Ziba answered, he's in the house of maker, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mechir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David says, the first one to call him by his name, Mephibosheth. Now, it's, it's significant to know that he's from a place called Lodabar. That place means literally a nothing place, a place of nothingness. It's not a place anybody would want to live. This this guy is living in a place of nothingness. Listen, nothings live in nothing places. Do you ever feel like you're there? Do you ever feel like you're in a, a, a spot in life when you're just surrounded by dead ends? Like you're in one of those places. There's just nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. I've looked, there's nothing. I've asked, there's nothing. I've pleaded, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's no future, there's no hope. I mean, unfortunately, when people live in the low-to-bar places of life, unfortunately, sometimes they make extreme decisions the first to say this kid's name was David the king the king was the first to call him by name see this king king David he knew the family he knew Jonathan He was close to the family, so he could call him by name. Listen, the king, understand this about the king. The king always looks past the external issues. Now, the reality is this was a broken man. His name, Mephibosheth, it means literally ill breath. It means reproach. That's a rough name. You are a man of reproach from a place of nothingness. Do you see what this kid's future was? Complete and utter despair. No hope, no help, no future. It's just rejection and denial and rejection and denial and rejection and denial over and over and over and over again. It was a broken man from a place of nothingness who had nothing to offer the king. And I love David's words to him after he calls him by name. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I love the fact how David begins. Don't be afraid. See, the last time that Mephibosheth heard that King David was in the vicinity, there was fear. And that fear led to his injury and crippledness. So David leads with that thing that created the pain. 
Let me address that thing that caused your injury first. Don't be afraid. David starts and he first addresses with the very thing that caused him pain. And this is the exact thing that God does with us. God first wants to address that thing that caused us pain and injury. And he wants to reassure us of his role in our lives as the restorer and as the healer. Now, we think that God might be good and restore and heal because I've been good to him. We think that God might look favorably upon us and be good to us and start giving us some yeses when everybody else is giving us noes because we've done something right. That's not the story of Mephibosheth. And that's not the way of grace. Don't be afraid, the king says. In essence, the king says this, you don't stand before me because of anything that you can offer me. If you stood before me based on your merit, if you came before me thinking you had something of value to offer me, then yes, be afraid and be very afraid because it's arrogant to think you have something to offer me. You're before me, not because of any benefit you can do to me. And God says the same to us. God says to each one of us, if our relationship with each other is based on what you think you can offer me, then be afraid. God says, you stand before me. I've given you authority to come before me and my throne of grace because I've called you. And he says, I don't want anything from you. I have something for you. So I've called you. And what I have for you is grace. So don't be afraid of me. God says, you are here at my request. You are here under my covering you are here with my authority. Don't be afraid of me, God says. This is the way of grace. So many religious people try to approach God because it's somewhere in them. They think they have something of value. God, I've been good. God, I've been obedient. God, I've changed things in my life. And so now I come before you and ask you for a favor. And God says, if you come to me based on what you think you can give me and the merit you have by your behavior, you have nullified the opportunity for grace. You, you doing Okay. How old was Mephibosheth when he was crippled? Five, Five years old. Now you got to do some research to figure this out. Just take me, uh, believe me that I, that I did it for you. So you're welcome. But I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> this kid lived in fear for about 15 years. Lived in fear of the king for about 15 years. 15 years unaware of the grace 
that was waiting for him 15 years, unaware of the grace and the favor of the king that was available to him. How long have you lived unaware of the grace that's available? How long have you lived trying to be good enough for God to be happy with your performance so that God would bless you with something, finally give you a yes? How long have you lived? Or how long have you lived being angry over the circumstances that brought you here? Imagine this kid could have been angry and bitter for a decade plus over what happened to him. Is that you? You're still carrying around the hurt and the bitterness and the pain, the frustration and the anger over what happened years ago. And as long as that's where you live, your history will always determine your destiny. It's not until you understand grace and that that thing that you're bitter about just may be the avenue through which God is using to pour unmeasured and unmerited favor on you. And the moment you realize that, you separate yourself from your history, not denying it, but you're not tied to it, so that you can go on to your destiny because of grace. See, God might be using the circumstances that you're angry and bitter about as the avenue through which to show you how great his grace is. What well, is scandalous, man? I want you to notice the first part of verse 7. David said, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Why did King David choose to bless Mephibosheth? It had nothing to do with Mephibosheth being worthy of honor. Do you understand that? David doesn't say, look, Mephibosheth, I'm good to you because you're a good guy. You're just a good guy. Some stuff happened in the past and it wasn't even your fault. And you're just a victim. I, I, you know, it's interesting to me that, that, that Mephibosheth was a victim. But his problem wasn't that he was a victim of something that happened. His problem was that he lived with a victim mentality. That was his problem. He carried around this victim mentality that I've been injured and it was unjust what happened to me and it wasn't fair, my history, and it kept him living forever with a victim mentality, never able to break free of his past. And so David steps in and blesses, not because there was something there worthy of blessing. Get this. David blessed Mephibosheth because of Mephibosheth's relationship with the son of the king. You understand? I mean, get this. The king Saul... His son, Jonathan, Mephibosheth was blessed because of his relationship with the son of the king. This has profound spiritual implications. I'm glad somebody's getting it. <laughs> Mephibosheth was not blessed because he did anything for the king. 
Mephibosheth wasn't blessed because of a relationship that he established with the son of the king. Mephibosheth was simply the recipient of the blessing because of his relationship with the son of the king. Who's the son of the king? Somebody say Jesus. And this is one of those times when you're in church and I ask what's four-legged fuzzy creature with a big tail and collects nuts and the correct answer is Jesus. It's one of those times. The king, the Lord God Almighty, the son of the king is who? And grace comes because of the relationship with the son of the king. This is grace. When we're blessed not because of what we've done for the king. We're simply the recipients of the blessing because of a relationship with the son of the king. Praise God almighty. I want you to understand the magnitude of grace. Look at what David says. There is both restoration and provision. This isn't what David says. This is something different. I jumped a gun here. The magnitude of grace involves both restoration and provision. He says, I will restore to you everything that you lost, and you will eat at my table. Restoration and provision. To restore means to give back all that was lost, all that was sacrificed, all that was stolen, all that was squandered. God says, I will make all things new. Restoration. This is Joel 2. And this is an example of it when God is talking to his people. And he says, you've lost everything. But I have come and I will come to bring full restoration of those things that have been lost and stolen and squandered. In Joel chapter 2, it says the threshing floors will be filled with grain. It means there's going to be an incredible harvest. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. God says, I will repay. I will repay. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Some of you have been through so much loss. Some of you have been through so much destruction. And one of the things that God wants to say is not because of your merit and what you've done, but just simply by his grace. He wants to tell you this morning that I will restore the years the locusts have stolen from you. You will have plenty to eat until you're full. And you'll praise the name of the Lord your God. I'm going to do this for you, not so you can be fat and happy, but I'm going to do this for you so it will turn your heart to me and you will then once again praise me for the wonders that I've done for you. See, so many of us want the restoration, but we want the restoration because we think we've deserved it because we've been good. And grace says, no, 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 no. It's to the crippled one that I will restore. Is this the God you know? Is this, is this the grace that you believe on? I will restore that which has been taken and lost and sacrificed, and you will eat at my table. This is the provision part of grace. 
It's not just the grace. Grace isn't just the restoration of what's been lost. It's the ongoing provision. It's the ongoing blessing that far exceeds your ability to provide for yourself. As a child of the king, all the benefits and all the blessings of the king are ours. Not because we've done something good, but just simply by grace. And if we ever move into the land of behavior, we move out of the land of grace. You can live in the land of behavior and religious performance, and you'll get exactly what you've earned, which is complete loss and destruction. Or you can live in the land of grace and say, Father, just show off how good you are. Give me back the years that I lost. Verse 11. Oh, my goodness. I'm missing up all kinds of notes. Listen, write this down. To restore means to remedy the past. To restore means to remedy the past. And so many of us have tried to remedy the past by our behavior in the present. And we think by our behavior in the present that God will be good to us. Restoration comes by grace, and it is the remedy of the past. Do you understand? Now look at what he says in verse 11. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord, uh, the king commands. Whatever you want me to do, David, that's fine, whatever. I'll, I'll do whatever you say. I'm your servant. I'll serve Mephibosheth. Look at how this verse ends. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like what? Like a son of the king. Like a son of the king. The Bible says we are now heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, we don't even approach God based on just our relationship with someone. Now we are the very heirs of God. At his table, with the full rights, authority, privileges, and blessings of a child of the king. Now watch Mephibosheth's response. He can't take it. He bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He finally realizes who he is and admits it to the king. And I love the fact that David does not authenticate his negative view of himself. David doesn't respond to him. See, Mephibosheth sees himself through the lens of the brokenness that others see him. David sees Mephibosheth through the lens of relationship. How do you see yourself? Too many of you, too many of you see yourself through the faulty lens of what everybody else has said about you. Too many of you continue to see yourself through the faulty, broken lens of what everybody else has said about you. And all they see about you is your brokenness. And you've continued to see yourself through a broken lens, a faulty lens. Do you realize who God sees you as if you're attached to him through faith in Jesus? 
He does not see you as failure any longer, and he does not see you as broken any longer. This king sees you through the relationship you have with him, which is whole and made new. See, here's what I know. Relationship beats brokenness every time. Relationship beats brokenness every time. And too many religious people try to heal their own brokenness by their behavior, never getting to the relationship with the king and the blessings of his grace. And you've stayed broken because you cannot be your healer. Jehovah Rophe is. And Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, means that Jesus with us is God, our healer. By his grace. And David immediately gives commands to start the blessings flowing. He doesn't address Mephibosheth's faulty view of his own brokenness. Mephibosheth, who am I that you would, you would bless a dead dog? David doesn't even acknowledge his broken view of himself. He just immediately gives the command for the blessings to start flowing. The king doesn't delay to see if Mephibosheth deserves to be blessed. The king doesn't wait to see, well, let's put you on probation for about six months, see if you can really keep stuff together. He just says the blessings start now. It's grace. Listen, this is what I want to tell you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, expect the blessings to start now. By grace, expect the blessings to start flowing now. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove yourself. You're not put on probation. It's not like, well, God's going to wait and test you to make sure it's stuck. Expect the blessings to start flowing now. Too many of you have delayed God's blessings of grace because you're still trying to prove that you deserve it. And God says, as long as you're trying to prove it, it'll never, the spigot's going to be turned off. It starts now. That's not arrogance. That's just confidence that I can approach the throne of grace with freedom. It starts now. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the king's sons. Now notice, he ate at the table with the king like a son. Notice, it was at the table of the king where now Mephibosheth's crippled feet were no longer visible. You understand what I'm saying? The brokenness and the crippled nature of my life is now no longer, because when we're all sitting at the table of the king, the brokenness of my crippled feet are covered by the king's table, and my brokenness is hidden under the table. And when everybody is seated at the table of the king, nobody's looking around comparing anybody else's walk. Do you understand? Man, I feel like this is better news than what you understand. No longer is Mephibosheth known by his lameness. Now he's only known by his relationship to the king. There's so much more to this story. There's so much more going on here. Can I press a little bit more with him? 
later, David's son Absalom would revolt against him because of this. It's just, it's an incredible story. You should read the Bible sometime. <laughs> Absalom revolts against David and, and tries to tear the kingdom from David's hand. And 2 Samuel 15 tells of Absalom's treason against King David, his own father. And in response, David flees from Jerusalem and lives his life on the run for quite some time. And in 2 Samuel 16, Ziba, the once trusted advisor that introduced Mephibosheth to David again, lies to David about Mephibosheth and makes Mephibosheth seem disloyal to David while all this was going on. And David's confused and he doesn't know what to believe because he knows Mephibosheth. But he also is hearing this from Ziba about Mephibosheth. And in 2 Samuel 19, David returns to Jerusalem after Absalom's death. So Absalom, his son that tried to revolt and treason and tear the kingdom from him, dies. David comes back from living on the run and enters Jerusalem. And wouldn't you know it, that Mephibosheth is one of the first to go and meet David when David enters the city. I just wonder how difficult it was for Mephibosheth to be one of the first to make the journey to see the king. Here's what I think. I think oftentimes the most faithful ones are the ones for whom it's most difficult to be faithful. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if obedience and faithfulness are not costly, they mean very little. And so Mephibosheth goes through this incredible effort to go see the king. And David questions Mephibosheth about Ziba's claim that Mephibosheth has been disloyal. And David's like, I don't know what to do. I've given you all of this, Mephibosheth, and it seems as though your heart has wandered from me. And so David says this. He says, take half of what you owe and, or what I've given you and give it to Ziba. He says, take half of what I've given you and give it to Ziba. And I love Mephibosheth's response. This is how I know that grace changes everything. Mephibosheth says, half? He can have it all. I just care about you. said, I don't need your stuff. I just need, you're the king. I know your love for me. You showed it to me in the past. I don't doubt that. I don't question that. Take it all. I just want you. See, Mephibosheth wanted the relation more than the reward. Because of grace, Mephibosheth knew, I just want the relationship more than I want the rewards. Mephibosheth, I just said, I don't want your stuff. I just want you on the throne. I don't want your stuff. I just want to be with you at your table. I don't want your stuff. I just want to be treated like a son again, part of the family. See, because of the grace that Mephibosheth had received, it changed everything from a victim mentality to a son. Because of grace. Guys, this is the point of grace. Caleb, come up here. There's so much here. I could just keep going. I got to, you, you got to start like doing something on your guitar. So I'll, I'll 
I'll quit talking so much. Here's what I know. You and I spend so much time trying to cover our failing. You and I spend so much energy trying to convince ourselves and trying to convince others that we're not crippled and we're not injured. You and I spend so much energy bitter over our brokenness. You and I spend so much emotional energy still playing the victim, though we may have been victimized, still with a victim's mentality and a victim's attitude, still living over the broken part of our past, never getting to our history or our, or our destiny. And we exert so much desire, begging and pleading something from God's hand. And we've continued to miss the truth that grace changes everything. It's grace that allows me to say, yes, God, I am a broken, crippled man. Because it's grace that convinces me that the Father doesn't only see my brokenness. Because I rest in the fact that grace tells me that Father sees me through the lens of relationship that I have with him as his child. And if I am a child of God, I'm not destined to brokenness anymore. And if I'm a child of God, I'm not tied to my history anymore. And if I'm a child of God, I now have a destiny that is greater than anything I can create for myself. I just got to step into it at the king's table. And it is grace that reminds me that the king will restore that which has been lost. The king will restore that which I have sacrificed at my hand. And the king will restore all that has been broken. And it's grace that tells me that the king will bless in ways I do not deserve. Why? to make my heart fall in love with him. When I can get to the place and say, and take it all, I just want you. I just want to be at your table. I just want to be a son again. Grace. Now listen, it is time if you have a relationship with Jesus to start expecting with anticipation grace and favor again. And it is time for you to start thanking God in advance for what he has already done and what he has already spoken. In other words, you thank God on credit. You understand what credit is? I'm going to get it now because of what's coming. I know it's, so you start thanking God on credit. I'm going to do a layaway plan of Thanksgiving. I'm going to lay up my thanks for something good that's coming. That's grace. And so I want to invite you in this moment to begin the adventure of grace. 
and to enter into this relationship with the king, not because of anything you can do for him, but because of what Jesus has already done. It's the difference between do and done. Religion says do. Do this and do that. Christianity says done. It is finished by what Jesus did on the cross. Some of you are living in the world of religion. You're living by the world of do. And you never know when it's enough. And I invite you into this world of grace. That because of grace, it's about what Jesus has done, not what you do. Some of you, your adventure begins now. Pray with me. Real simple. This adventure of grace. Real simple. The experience of scandalous grace. Admit your sin and ask forgiveness. God, I admit I'm broken. I admit I've broken a relationship with you. I admit I've transgressed on your standard. You call that sin. I agree with you. I admit it. Jesus, I believe that you are the only way to be right with the king. I believe that you paid my price on the cross. Then tell him this morning, I commit to following you as best I can. Tell him, Father, I will now depend on your grace. Not on my behavior. Not on what good I can do. Just by your grace. Father, you have told us that we have been saved by grace through faith. And I believe confidently, and I thank you in advance for those in this place and those who hear my voice that in this moment are coming for the first time and coming again by faith through grace. By grace through faith to you. Hear the hearts that admit error. Hear the hearts that believe you are the only way to the king. Hear the hearts that are committing to follow you. Hear the hearts that are depending solely on grace. And God, in this moment, restore all that has been broken. And in this moment, guarantee provision and blessing far beyond our ability to provide and bless for ourselves. And in this moment, authenticate this your word by signs and wonders that grace begins now.